Hello, hello, hello. Hey, America, how are you? It's sweet, the sweetness of cry. And you are listening to the podcast, Cry, Let It All Out, where we uh, talk about artists that have passed on and left a lasting legacy. We're now doing Michael Jackson. Yes, yes, yes. The one and only, the greatest entertainer that ever lived. And uh, I did my TV show today on C. CCTV in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, I forgot to play Jackson 5 Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That's one of my favorite uh, Christmas songs. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. And I really love that song by the Jackson 5. Okay, so we're doing Michael Jackson. Uh, We're doing Michael Jackson Thrill. The book by Caroline Latham. And today I got two songs by Michael Jackson uh, that I'm going to do at the end of the podcast. I got Beat It and I got Heal the World by Michael Jackson. And um, I picked these two songs because of gun violence and violence. I feel it's the biggest problem we have in the America right now. So if someone tells you to pick up a gun or use a gun, tell them beat it and uh, tell them let's heal the world by Michael Jackson. Okay, let's get into the book. Um, I marked the book to where we're supposed to be, and I can't seem to find my marking. I'm sorry about that, America. So we're just going to start with chapter two, and then I will go back uh, uh, and see where we are, and we'll start with that next week. But let's get into the book, Michael Jackson Thrill. This is all about his Thriller album, one the probably uh one of the greatest albums ever made in US history um where Michael Jackson came out with the Billy Jean uh video and he did the moonwalk for the first time on stage and uh the crowd went crazy everyone watching was stunned and amazed okay chapter 2 the motown connection Diana Ross's excited phone call to Barry Gordy about the kids she had seen in Gary set in motion a long chain of events that would lead in little more than six months to the first hit record by the Jackson 5. The first thing that happened was that Gordy issued an invitation. Would the Jackson 5 like to come to Detroit and entertain at a party he was giving at his mansion? It seems an unusual and somewhat patronizing way to hold an audition, but perhaps he realized that the Jackson 5 needed a live audience to be at their best. He flew the boys and their father to Detroit, a nice change from the tiring routine of the long ride in the VW bus, and the Jacksons set up their instruments and sound equipment out by the pool house. All of the Jacksons remember being impressed with their first look at a real mansion. The big house, the huge backyard like a golf course, said Jackie. All indoor swimming, an indoor swimming pool, the impressive buffet for the guests. 
don't we all wish we could live in a mansion, America? Uh, I want a mansion so bad in a Range Rover. <laughs> the task before them was a particularly daunting one. The audience was not just any old group of rich socialites, not by a long shot. They were the chief executives of Motown and some of the biggest stars, the Motown family. The Jacksons found themselves in their unenviable un- position of having to perform their imitative numbers in front of the very stars who made the songs a hit. It speaks volumes for both their professionalism and their motivation that they were able to do such a thing, let alone do it successfully. But they pulled it off, Michael remembers. We did our show and they loved it. They gave us a standing ovation. Yay! Barry Gordy came over and Diana Ross came over at the end of the show and she kissed each one of us. She said she loved what she saw and wanted to be part of what we do. In just a few weeks, the Jackson 5 had a recording contract with Motown. Wow. Although the contract has never been made public, it's possible to deduce most of it in terms, for the Jacksons certainly didn't at the point in their careers have the leverage to negotiate anything beyond the standard boilerplate. The Jacksons got a royalty rate of 2.7%, low, but not unusual for a totally unknown group. Motown controlled all of the other subsidiary rights to the commercial exploitation of the group. Calendars, TV shows, licensing of merchandising rights all belong to Motown. Perhaps even more important in the long run was the fact that Motown had the right to make all the decisions about the Jackson 5's career. Motown would choose the material they would perform and record, decide when and where they should appear in public, set up and monitor their interviews with the press, select their costumes, handpick their entourage. Barry Gordy intended to manage their career the same way he had managed the careers of other Motown artists with an autocratic hand. At about the time Motown signed the Jacksons, the company was making a switch. By moving its headquarters from Detroit, the Motor City that gave the label its name, to Los Angeles. Yeah, the capital of the music business. So it seemed obvious that the Jacksons, too, should make the move to California. They were ready and willing. Michael still has a vivid memory of their arrival. When we got there, we went to Disneyland. It was freezing in Indiana. The sun, the swimming pools, a whole other image, a whole other life. It was magic. One virgin version of the legend has it that the most of the Jackson family stayed with Barry Gordy at first until they found a house of their own. An alternate version has them all staying with Diana Ross. The one fact common to both stories is that Michael Jackson did indeed stay with Diana Ross. She told the reporter at about that time, Michael won me over the first moment I saw him. I saw so much of myself as a child in Michael. He was performing all the time. That's the way I was. He could be my son. Later, she put more emphasis on Michael's admiration of her than vice versa. 
there was an identification between Michael and I. I was older, he kind of idolized me, and he wanted to sing like me. No doubt the attraction was mutual, and perhaps they did instantly recognize the ways in which they were alike. As Michael got older, these similarities seemed to increase. His voice sounded more and more like hers. His music began to cross over established boundaries the way hers did. He became not just a singer, but an entertainer, just as she was. They even began to look rather alike, and they have remained very close through all the changes. They now can boast of a 15-year friendship, and in fickle Tinseltown, this is a real rarity. Whatever Dinah Ross may have contributed to Michael's education about the demanding business of being a star, it seems clear that Motown considered itself chiefly responsible for preparing Michael and the other Jacksons as well for the demands of success. Motown expected the Jackson 5 to be stars, and they acted accordingly. They taught the boys how to handle big audiences, how to deal with the press, how to respond to fans, in short, how to live in the limelight. Although the boys were already skilled performers, Motown hired professional dancers to help them work out their steps, and other professionals to help them work out their onstage ad-libs, the little bits of business that seemed spontaneous to the audiences but were in fact very carefully rehearsed. By late 1969, the Jacksons were ready. Yeah, all they needed was the right song. Barry Gordy founded for them within Motown from the songwriting team that went by the name The Corporation and actually included several talented songwriters and record producers. Gordy himself, he started out in the business as a songwriter. Freddie Perrin, who later went on to write I Will Survive for Gloria Gaynor and reunited for Peaches and Herb. Deke Richards and Fonts Mazel. The song was I Want You Back. I Want You Back was actually a straightforward soul tune. In fact, the writers originally intended it for Gladys Knight. But it was adapted for the Jacksons by altering the lyrics to capitalize on the astonishing youth of the group. The strengths of the song are Michael's get-down delivery on lead, Jermaine's hot and fast bass line. Instrumentally, the rest of the music is somewhat muddy, and the backup singing by the rest of the Jacksons consisted of little more than oh, oh, oh. When you listen to the song today, it seems evident that it is Michael who is really carrying it. Writer-producer Freddie Perrin remembers how hard Michael worked at the studio session. I would have him do the song, and by the time we got to the end, it sounded so good. He had improved the performance so much. He had improved, and I would have him go back to the beginning. This would go on. First the beginning was better, then he'd keep on, and the ending was better. Then the beginning, with every take, he got better. I Want You Back, back with Who's Loving You, was released at the end of 1969. Within a matter of weeks, it had sailed to the top of the charts, 
Eventually, the single sold nearly 4 million copies. It was a stunning success. Of course, it's the Jackson 5. And it spurred Motown into a frenzy of activity to exploit the group's success while they were hot. The first step was to collect some Motown standards for the Jacksons to perform and have them cut an album. It was released within a few weeks of the single, and it was a hit. It was called Diana Ross Presents the Jackson 5. The title suggests that Motown didn't yet realize what a monster hit they had on their hands, since they felt the need to bolster the album's sale by dragging in the name of Diana Ross. Rolling Stone's reviewer definitely pricked that promotional balloon at the conclusion of his review. Given any kind of decent material at all, the Jackson 5 should be able to give us many years of good, tight music. Who's this Diana Ross anyway? The album made the top five despite the fact that so many of the songs were just filler covers of hits by other Motown groups, such as Standing in the Shadow of Love, My Sherry Amore, and Zippity Doo Dah. Before the fans could forget the Jackson 5 and that cute little Michael who sang the lead, Motown released another single called ABC, Easiest One, Two, Three, Do, Re, Mi. It repeated the formula that had worked so well for the first single. A rapping and driving bass line underneath a shrill but dynamic vocal by Michael and that soprano voice that was somehow surprisingly convincing when it talked about love. ABC, also written by the corporation, was another hit. It rose to number one on the charts, sold over two million copies, and won a Grammy for Best Pop Song of 1970. The Jackson's third single, The Love You Save, repeated the success of the first two, selling several million copies and hitting the coveted number one spot on the charts. By this time, it was the summer of 1970, and the Jackson 5 were everywhere. They appeared on Ed Sullivan's television show. Michael still has a tape of that performance and views it nostalgically every now and again. They were also on American Bandstand and the Andy Williams show, and they had made a couple of live appearances, one in Philadelphia's Convention Hall and another at the Kyle Palace in San Francisco. They had been featured in Time and Life and Look as well as Ebony and Jet and Blackstar. The family home, a comfortable house, and the Hollywood Hills section was already on the tall maps of the celebrity address. Oh, my goodness. Already. To just a few short, in just a few short months, life had changed forever for the Jackson family. Michael... As the youngest of the Jackson 5, and also in a very real sense the star, was perhaps the family member who felt the change most acutely. Did Michael Jackson ever have a chance to respond like an 11-year-old kid to the simple happiness of his amazing success? Or was it too quickly buried in the grueling work schedule and the need to be protected from his fans? 
In certain respects, the first year of Fing must have been something like a nightmare. Consider just the workload alone. In the first year with Motown, the Jackson 5 made four albums. That's a grand total of 45 songs they had to learn, rehearse, and then record. Then there were the concerts with their demands for costume fittings, choreography lessons, and plenty of rehearsals. The television appearances called for more rehearsals and more travel. And then there were the constant interviews of that first year when all of America wanted to learn about each and every one of the Jackson boys. The work involved seems staggering, especially for a kid who still has to go to school and be in bed by 9.30 every night. Wow. Then there were the problems of the fame. Teeny Boppers stood outside the house, waiting for Michael and his brothers to emerge. Joe Jackson explained, we have to have tight security. What the stars like the... Was <coughs> Excuse me, America, I apologize. With stars like these, you never know when somebody out there is waiting to get their hands on one of them. They stayed in public school exactly a week before they transferred to a private school. But even there, protection of such celebrities was difficult. The principal got frequent calls from eager fans, and they were lined up outside the entrance with their autograph books every evening. In live performances, the threatening aspects of such mass devotion was palpable. Critic Albert Goldman reported, there is an explosion of adolescent chemistry that rivals the first teen bombs detonated by the Beatles. Sheets of screams hang in the air, hysterically contorted mouths and hands rise to the lights. Scrimmages clog the aisles. The air of the corridor the cockfight, the gladiatorial combat fills the plastic vastness. When you're just 11, no matter how cool you are, how self-possessed, how experienced in being a celebrity in Gary, Indiana, the whole thing must be a little frightening. Years later, Michael told a reporter, being mobbed hurts. You feel like you're spaghetti among the thousands of hands. They're just ripping you and pulling your hair, and you feel that any moment you're going to just break. His mother added with concern, Every time I'd go to a concert, I'd worry, because sometimes the girls would get on stage and i have to watch them tearing at Michael. He was so small, and they were so big. One other change for the Jacksons was the fact that people outside the family were now making most of the decisions about their present as well as their future. A Motown exec told the press, we provide total guidance. We provide their material, set their basic sound, and work out the choreographic routines. Joe Jackson, once the person principal decision-maker in all these areas was reduced to lesser responsibilities, he told Ben Fong Torres. My role is getting the boys out of the studio. Then he added defensively, I'm the legal guardian. They listen to me 100%. 
Okay, we're going to stop there on the book. Um, that's Chapter 2, uh, Michael Jackson, Thrill, by Caroline Latham. And we're going to get into the two songs I picked. Now, just a little bit, America, about gun violence and violence. Um, guns were a terrible invention. Um, we need to put down the guns. No one needs a gun. Uh, they murder people and kill people. We must get rid of them. The gun violence in this country has soared to tremendous heights that something needs to be done about it. So let's uh, put down the guns. If someone tells you to pick up a gun, tell them Beat It by Michael Jackson and tell them you would like to heal the world by Michael Jackson. Now let's hear Beat It. They told him, don't you ever come around here. Don't want to see your face, you better disappear. The fire's in their eyes and the words are really clear, so beat it. Just beat it. You better run, you better do what you can. Don't want to see no blood, don't be a macho man. You want to be tough, better do what you can, so beat it. But you want to be bad. Just beat it, beat it, beat it. Beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky and strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it. Just beat it. Just beat it. Just beat it. Uh. They're out to get you better. Leave while you can. Don't want to be a boy. You want to be a man. You want to stay alive. Better do what you can. So beat it. Just beat it. You have to show them that you're really not scared. You're playing with your life. This ain't no truth or dare. They'll kick you, they'll, then they'll beat you, then they'll tell you it's fair, so beat it. But you want to be bad, just beat it, beat it. Beat it, beat it. That's what you tell someone that wants to start a fight with you, wants to be violent, wants to use a gun, Tell them just beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky and strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. Then it goes down, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it, beat it, beat it. Don't, don't, beat it, beat it, beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky strong, sing it with me, America. Strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it, beat it, beat it. Don't, don't, beat it, beat it, beat it. No one wants to be defeated. Showing how funky strong is your fight. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just beat it. That's 
a very good song because it just says stop the violence. It says don't fight, just beat it. Doesn't matter who's wrong or right. No one wants to be defeated. You know, just beat it with the gun violence and the violence. Okay, so the next one is Heal the World by Michael Jackson. And I thought uh, we needed to work on healing the world from all the violence and the war going on and all uh, the gun violence. It's just too much. It re- something really needs to be done. Let's each of us one-on-one say today that we will not use guns or participate in gun violence. We want to heal the world. Michael Jackson. Think about um, the generations and uh, say we want to make it a better place for our children and our children's children so that they, 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 they know it's a better world for them and think if they can make it a better place. There's a place in your heart, and I know that it is love. And this place, it was brighter than tomorrow. And if you really try, you'll find there's no need to cry. In this place, you'll feel there's no hurt or sorrow. There are ways to get there. If you care enough for the living, make a little space, make a better place, heal the world. Make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. If you want to know why, there's love that cannot lie. That's it, America. Love is strong. It only cares of joyful giving. If we try, we shall see. In this bliss, we cannot fail. Fear of dread, we stop existing and start living. Then it fails that always loves enough for us growing. Make a better world. So make a better world. Heal the world. Make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. (laughs) And the dream... We were conceived and will reveal a joyful face. And the world we once believed in will shine again in grace. Then why do we keep strangling life? Would wound this earth crucify its soul? Though it's plain to see, the world is heavenly. Be God's glow. We could fly so high. Let our spirits never die. In my heart, I feel you are all my brothers. Create a world with no fear. Together, we cry happy tears. 
see the nation turn their swords into plowshares. We could really get there. If you cared enough for the living, make a little space to make a better place, heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. Heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. Heal the world. Heal the world, America. Make it a better place, America. Put down the guns. Stop the violence. Stop the war. For you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying, America. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. There are people dying. If you care enough for the living, make a better place for you and for me. You and for me for a better place. You and for me make a better place. You and for me make a better place. You and for me heal the world we live in. You and for me save it for our children. You and for me heal the world we live in. Save it for our children. And that's Heal the World by Michael Jackson. What a good song. Something we definitely need to do, America, is heal the world. Okay, so let's see. Uh, where are we at now? I think we're just about... 30 minutes. Okay. So that's all I have for the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. Cry, let it all out, where we discuss the legacy of lives passed on and their stories. Uh, Hope you have happy holidays, America. Merry Christmas. May you get your favorite gift and happy new year. Let's start off the new year with joy and peace. Love you, America. Peace.